Would you grab your Bibles and turn to John 17? We'll read this and then you can have a seat. We're going to look at three verses today. John 17, 17, 18, and 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You may be seated. Hey, one other thing that I wanted to um, tell you about. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you'll have an email in your box and you'll begin to get one every Monday morning. Um, And it will be a prayer focus for the week. And so we're going to begin to do this, not only with the prayer wall, is that just as we do with the W-4, we were reading uh, in unity together um, right now the book of Hosea. We also want to spend seven days um, a week praying for the same thing. And so, uh, so you'll get that tomorrow morning. It's going to be about praying for the families of LifePoint. And so we will uh, pray starting tomorrow all the way through the week. And then next Sunday morning we'll do this each, each week. We will kind of finish that prayer time by praying on Sunday morning for whatever um, that aspect is. And so, um, so be looking for that tomorrow morning. If you're not getting the weekly email and you want to know what those, uh, uh, you want to get that, if you would just fill out a visitor's card or a card, they're back there by the offering box, and you can fill that out and place that in there, and, and we will uh, get you added to that. So this morning, we are continuing in this great prayer of Jesus that's called the Lord's Prayer. We call this other thing the Lord's Prayer, This is really the Lord's Prayer. That was how he taught the disciples to pray, a framework, and how how they ought to pray. This is him actually praying, the very words. So very soon we will be in John chapter 18. I think we have one more week. Um, Next week we'll be in 20 through 26, and we will finish John 17. And then we are in the Garden of Gethsemane where things really begin to unravel. Uh, in regard to Christ being arrested and all the things that happened with that. Part of me is getting sad in a good way. Of all the things that I've taught through the years here at the church and we walk through books of the Bible, this has been for me the most significant thing that I've taught here. And I kind of don't want it to end. Part of me wants to just start all over again uh, in John Um, Every book of the Bible, every verse of the Bible, and no matter how long who wrote it, is significant. But there is nothing, not that, again, not that one rises above, but the most key piece of writing in the last 2,000 years has been the Gospel of John. It is just absolutely significant in, in enabling us to see who Christ is. So as we finish this prayer next week and as we look at these steps today this one today is absolutely important this is critical there was a time in our nation where for the most part not everybody embraced it but there was a biblical worldview that used to permeate our country and it kind of kept the boundaries on some things laws being enacted certain things being not accepted publicly and um, those days are gone Right, you know, we know that, right? Those days are gone. There's still some restraint, thankfully, about some certain things, but in many ways, the restraint from a biblical worldview has passed us. 
I'm going to show three things just for a moment, just pictures, just from this past week to kind of indicate that, of kind of what's happened in the last week, and how do we live in the midst of that? Well, how do we live in the midst of what we're going to see? Just three aspects of things that happened in our world this past week is exactly what Jesus prays today. So Aaron, if you would, put the first one up there. This is in a city in Ukraine that has not been bombed yet. But that is 109 strollers indicating the children that have been lost in Ukraine since the war began. So that was put in the heart of one of the cities this week, a stroller representing each child that has been killed in the war. Let's look at the next one. You may have seen this. The NCAA championship swimming meet was this past weekend, the one... The tallest one is a man who is swimming in a women's event. And the world is saying, this is okay, this is normal, um, this is right, we should affirm this, and, and we don't affirm this. God has biblically established certain things, and we as his people, we stand by this reality. And so this happened, on, this is from Friday night, this photo here. A man won first place in a women's event. Now, he's claiming to be a woman, but God made them male and female, and you can't switch back and forth. So this is part of it. Here's another one. Uh, Mark shared this with me. Uh, This is the leader of Planned Parenthood, and you may not be able to see all of it, but um, South by Southwest Music Festival is happening and taking place, and this is Planned Parenthood has an ice cream truck where they are handing out condoms and promoting abortion rights in regard to connected to ice cream. And I could stand here today and put photo after photo after photo and photo up there. Of This is just three instances of just stuff from this week in our culture. So how do God's people live in a world that's so confused about what truth is? How do, how do, how do we maintain our sanity and navigate in the midst of the reality of these kinds of things. And what we're going to see from Jesus is how we do it. And so let's go to the first point. And I just want to talk about initially the first two words that Jesus prays in verse 17. So the first thing I want to talk about is that we are set apart for holiness and service. So the first part of verse 17, Jesus just says the words as he prays, Sanctify them. Sanctify them. The word sanctify carries in the Greek two very clear meanings. One is to consecrate or to set aside something, something or someone for a special service. So that's one definition, one aspect of the definition of the word sanctify. So as Jesus prays here, he's saying, Father, set aside the eleven, set aside believers for special purpose in the midst of or, or for the gospel. The second meaning of the word consecrate or sanctify is to make something pure or to cleanse something from sin. So as Jesus is saying these words, sanctify them, He is saying, Father, set apart your people and set them apart for a special purpose and set them apart in holiness. This is natural to understand this. God is not going to set 
people apart in unholiness. He's going to set us apart for special purpose connected to holiness. So he has already been praying all through this that we would have his joy, that we would know that we would be hated by the world because we have his word and the world doesn't know the Father and doesn't know us. He asked the Father to keep them from the evil one. We saw that last week. He prayed and said, I remind them I am not of the world, they are not of the world because they are of me and of the Father. They are in us and so we are unique. And so now he prays that we would come to the place of understanding that as as his people we are set apart, unique, distinct, different from the thinking and the ways of the world for holy, righteous purposes. This is what the call of God is for the church. We are not to look like the world in our thinking. Our feet go places that are in line with the heart of God. And so as he prays these specific things, I remind us that he knows what it's like to live in a world like ours for he was here. This is what makes our faith so unique among any other faith. Our God lived here. He was tempted. He talked to people up close who had been broken by the devastation of sin. So he knows what it's like. And so as he's praying for them and as he is praying for us here, this is why he is praying that we would be set apart, unique, consecrated for the purpose of holiness in the midst of a world that has lost its mind. By the way, the world is not going to redeem its mind because it cannot redeem its mind. It is only the Lord who redeems that which is unholy and can make it righteous. And that is why we as God's people are so important in the midst of our culture. So the word sanctify means to make holy, to be separate from sin, to be set apart in holiness for a specific purpose. Notice that Jesus prays here, we do not do the sanctifying ourselves. So he is praying to the Father and he is saying to the Father, Father, sanctify them. God, do your work. So we yield. We agree with God. We agree with what the Word says. But God does this great work in us. So Jesus prays this, that we would be sanctified, we would be set apart for holiness and service. And so he prays, Father, make them holy. They were going to be, we are entrusted with the gospel work. And so that is why it is important that we are sanctified, consecrated for this specific purpose. So sanctification in the life of a follower is a process that's going to happen throughout our lifetime until we breathe no more. We will continue to be growing in godliness, continue to be sanctified. Christ will continue to pray this. He will continue to intercede for us. And so this continuing work of Christ in sanctification and work of the Father in sanctification is to transform us to be more and more like Jesus. And as that happens, we find ourselves less and less tethered, tied to the thinking and the ways of the world. We begin 
in sanctification as we are set apart for holy purposes to be weaned from the world to a life of being deeply immersed in the truth of God's word. So sanctification is the work that begins at our spiritual birth where we begin to be weaned from the cheap trinkets that the world has to offer. And that's all that they are, is cheap trinkets that do not last. We begin over time to be weaned from just having an appetite for milk to having an appetite for the hearty, deep things of the Scripture for meat. And I remind us this morning before we move on, we live in a battlefield, not in a ball field. And I think sometimes we have a playing in life mentality. This is not a game. This is life and death, heaven and hell. Eternity is connected to this sanctification of us being set apart in holiness for gospel purposes. And so I remind us, we live in a battlefield, not in a ball field. And it's serious business for this to happen. And so God's work of sanctifying grace... It's critical. So I'm going to add one word now. So let's look at this. So we are set apart for holiness and service, but where? How? We are set apart for holiness and service by the truth. So look at 17 again. So two words we looked at, sanctify them. How is Jesus asking the Father to sanctify us? In the truth. In what way do we need to be set apart? We need to be set apart by living according to the Word of God. So when the Word is at work in us, it cultivates our lives in holiness and purpose. And so to this end, Jesus prays that biblical truth would be our pathway. What we are set apart unto tells everything what we need to know about how to live, how to think, And what to do and to find our purpose in life. And so Jesus prays that they would be and we would be sanctified in the truth. Let me remind us what Jesus said to the woman at the well. They'd had this deep conversation about where you worship. She says, well, we worship here. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. What's the deal about worship? And so Jesus tells her in John 4, 23, woman, an hour is coming... And it's actually now here, Jesus tells her. When true worshipers worship the Father in spirit, with their spirit, and they worship, Jesus said, and what's the other word he said? Truth. Spirit deeply rooted in truth. Why is that so significant? Because Jesus then says this to her. For the Father seeks those kind of worshipers. He's not seeking for worshipers who just want to go through ritual and be connected to untruths or half-truths. He is looking for people whose spirit is connected to His spirit and they want to worship Him connected to the truth of God's Word. That the standard of our worship is the Scripture. Not our feelings, not what we want something to be, whatever the case may be. We worship in spirit and truth. That's the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. And then Jesus said in John 4, 24, He said, God is spirit and those who worship Him must. They don't have another option but to worship Him in spirit and truth. 
So as Jesus prays here, Father, I'm praying that you would set them apart for gospel purposes in holiness. And the way that that happens is that your people would be sanctified in the very truth. Now, as we talk about truth here, we're talking about that which is reality, that which has substance to it, not what is fake, but what is real. When we worship and when we are sanctified and when we walk in obedience, we are walking in obedience in line with the very words of the truth of God's word. And our transformation comes not by what we want the word of God to be, the transformation comes by what the Word of God actually is. or not, It's not by what we feel about it or what we might want it to say. The transformation comes when we are sanctified in the very truth of the Scripture. So as we are set aside, we are set aside in the purposes of walking and living and being immersed in the truth of the Scripture. Spurgeon said it like this. The more truth you believe, the more sanctified you will be. The operation of truth upon the mind is to separate a man from the world unto the service of God. Let me, let me read it again. Listen to these words. The more truth you believe, the more truth you know, and you are immersed into the truth of God's word the more sanctified, the more set apart, different from the world you will be in living in holiness. The operation of truth upon the mind is to separate a man from the world and unto the service of God. I want you to turn over just one chapter from John 17 to John 18. So somewhere around six to seven hours from Jesus praying this prayer, he is standing before Pilate. And we come to John 18, and he and Pilate are having a conversation. So in John 18, 33, follow along with me. So Pilate, Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And so here's how Jesus answered him. Do you say this of your own accord? Is this what you think, or... Did others say it to you about me? And so Pilate says, am I a Jew? Look, dude, your own nation, your chief priests, they delivered over you, you over to me. And what a great question he asks here. What have you done? And I want, you to, I want to show you now how Jesus answers his question. What have you done? And here's what Jesus says. Well, this is what I've done. I've established a kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, here's the second thing about my kingdom. My kingdoms would be fighting that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. 37. So Pilate says, so you are a king. If you came to establish a kingdom, so you are a king. And Jesus said, you say that I am a king. Now note what Jesus says here. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. To bear witness to the what? The truth. All right, look here. 
Does it not make sense that if he came to establish the truth and to bear witness in the truth, that the most key thing that we need to be set apart into is the truth, is the words of God. If this is the purpose of why he came, he's not going to want to set us apart for something else. He's going to want us to be set apart in the truth. And so again, as Jesus is praying this, Father, set your people apart in holiness and in useful purpose of the gospel. And the way that happens is that they are sanctified and set apart in holiness by living in and embracing the words of God. So Jesus came to reveal to humanity everything that is true about God and everything that is true about what God wants us to do in regard to living and following Him. And we are to be people of the truth. We are to be people of the truth. But there is a danger. Living in a world system like ours, again, that just turns things upside down and and gives things that are wrong, fresh words and names to affirm them. But we don't embrace that. But how do we deal with that? So here's what I want to do. I want to, we're going to, we're going to have a little Bible drill in one book. I want you to go to 1 John. And I want to talk about the danger and deception of the world that John writes in, in, his, in his letter called 1 John. Since the world does not live by the truth, but we are sanctified into the truth, the world operates with no recognition of who God is and His glory. The world is guided by selfish ambition and the pursuit of pleasure so how do we how how should we look at the world so we can know what the world's like and then we'll talk about his word here in just a moment i want to i want to give us we're going to read six verses that john writes in first john all of these telling us what the world is like and why we are to be sanctified different set apart from the ways of the world so first john chapter 2 verse 15 and 16. And we're just going to walk all the way down into chapter 5 looking at six verses. So here's the first way that we need to be aware of why we are not to be connected to the world is that the ways of the world have nothing at all to do with the Father. So 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And again, when we talk about world, we're talking about the world system, its thinking, its, its ideas, its philosophy. For all that is in the world, 16 says, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so we are not to love the world's system. We are not to get caught up in the world system. If someone just passionately loves the world system, and this is the way they live year after year, month after month, and this is just the way it is, then the love of the Father is not in that person. That's an indication that that person does not have faith in the Lord. Now, Christians can have snapshots of their life where we struggle with that. But if the pattern of somebody's life is just the world, the world, the world, the world, the world, and it dominates their life, for years and years and decades, then the love of the Father, John says, is not in them. Now go to 1 John 2, verse 
17, the very next verse there. John now tells us this about the world system. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Where's the will of God found? The Bible, right? The truth. Okay. So the world is going to pass away. All of its lies, everything that it says is true. It's going to pass away. But those who do the will of God found in the scriptures, that's the person that gives indication that they are in Christ and they will abide forever. Just this week or two weeks ago, and it's kind of come out, and I I want to touch on it here because I think it's important. Andy Stanley, you may know who he is. He's a pastor in Atlanta. A couple of weeks ago came out and said this, that that our reliability of Christianity is not connected to the original sources of the revelation of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our reliability, he says, is only in the person of Jesus. Well, there's a problem with that. How do we know about who Jesus is? Through the Scripture. And so this cuteness about these things is horrible and it needs to be called out. So John writes here, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now go to chapter 3, verse 1. The world doesn't know God and it doesn't know his children. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So we are set apart into truth. The world doesn't get us. It doesn't understand our thinking. And it does so because it doesn't know us, because the world doesn't ultimately know the one who has changed us and given us this new birth. Now go to verse 13 of 1 John 3. There's more information as to why we are to be distinct from the world. 1 John 3, 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So can I ask a question? Why are we surprised? If we've been told this is the way the world is going to look at you, why are we surprised? We should just know that it's the case. This is the way the world thinks. It's going to hate us. And so... We are distinct from the world because of what Christ has done. Go to 1 John 4, verse 1. Here's another reason we want to be careful of being connected to the world and and to be reminded that we are separated unto holiness as the world is full of false prophets. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, into its system. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's how you know. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world Already, So the spirit of the Antichrist is to deny that Jesus has come from the Father. And so we are aware that out there you're going to hear crazy things or you're going to hear clever things and go, wow, 
That's unique. Test the Spirit. What are they saying? Are they confessing that Jesus is the one who came to do the divine work in the name of His Father to redeem us? And we test what is being taught and what is being proclaimed. One last one. 1 John five nineteen, and this is the biggest one. This is why we don't buy into the world system. 1 John five nineteen, We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of who? The evil one. Why do we not want to be deeply ingrained into a culture? Well, because that culture is in the grip of Satan himself. The culture may be really clever in the way Satan has disguised certain things as an angel of light to look good, but we reject, we reject the world system because it lies in the hands of the evil one. So that's the danger and deception of the world. Now I want to talk just for a moment in 1 John about the divine work and delight of God working and sanctifying us in the truth. Go to 1 John 2, verse 21. I want to share just a couple of verses here. So here's what we do. We reject the lies and we embrace truth. So John writes in 1 John 2, 21, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, And because no lie is of the truth. So let me remind us, Christianity, there is emotions in Christianity in our faith. This is a relationship. So there are emotions connected with it. But at the same time, I want to remind you and I, Christianity is a thinking faith. It is a knowing faith. Where we must have discernment. We must be critical thinkers. And so again, the first century Christians are not living in a safe world. They are not living in a world that acknowledges and exalts the glory of Jesus. They are living in a world under the heavy hand of Rome where there are gods everywhere, temples everywhere. Sexual prostitution in these temples just permeated the culture. And so John writes to them and he reminds them, listen, you are different. As God's people, you are set apart. Why are you set apart? You are set apart because word of God has been written to you and you know the truth. You know the truth. You're not hoping for the truth, but you know the truth that is connected to Christ. And because you know the truth, you know that there's no lie connected to the truth. And so you can discern when something is said. And you can recognize, no, that's not the truth. And so I reject it. So we are set apart unto holiness to know the truth so that we can reject the lies that, that will be spoken. Go to chapter 5 of 1 John, verse 4. Faith, Hebrews 11 tells us, the only way if you're ever going to please God is faith. That you will have faith that rests in who God is. So in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Its system, its lies, its being in the hand of the evil one. It is our faith. Now, let me note, don't misunderstand this. 
when John writes our faith, it is only our faith because who has granted it to us? God has. So we have faith in Him because God has gifted us faith. And so now it belongs to us. We are in Him. And our salvation by faith separates us and makes us distinct from the world system. Not only that, we come to know that Jesus Himself is the truth. So let me just read a couple of verses here. John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, and Jesus was full of truth. John 1, 17. For the law was given to Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we reject the lies that the world tells We embrace the truth. We know that our faith enables us to overcome because our faith is grounded in the work and the words and the sanctifying work of Christ. Truth is seen in Jesus. We don't know what truth is. It's embodied in Jesus Himself. And then this one's key. When we know the truth and we remain in the Word, we are sanctified and we are set free. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God sanctifies us by the truth. So listen to the prayer. Father, make them holy. Do so by your word. So therefore, we live in full agreement with the word and we let it do its great work. Let God take out the scalpel and do this. Jesus says your word is truth. It's key for us to see this, that Jesus doesn't say, you'll find some truth in the Bibles, in the Bible. He doesn't say the Bible contains truth. He says the Bible is truth. The Scripture is truth. The Word of the Father is truth. The Bible's not a container. The Bible is the truth of God, personified in the person of Jesus Christ. Revealed in the power of the Spirit and the reality of the Spirit's work. So daily as Christ followers, hear this church. This is our daily battle. Either the Word is at work in us daily or the world is at work in us daily. That's that's what's going to happen. It will be the world or it will be the Word. It's the daily battle that we have. When the world's at work, we're not confident. We lose our way, we lose our direction, we lose perspective. But when the Word is alive in us, we regain foundation. We step back on what's strong and secure. We, we have a biblical perspective again to be able to discern certain things. And every day this is the case. The world will be at work in us or the Word will be at work in our, in our hearts. And so that's why Jesus says, sanctify them, set them apart in holiness and truth. And Father, your word is the truth. So let's look at the next thing. I just said it. Your word is truth. And let's talk about this just for a moment. Psalm 119, 11. We just said it a while ago. Love it. The timing. I wrote this, I wrote this months ago. I wrote this probably back in December. And who would have known when I typed out Psalm 119, 11 that we would quote it this morning. So let me just share it again. That's not coincidence, by the way. I have stored up your word in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. So we are set apart for holiness and service by the very word of God. And we work. Listen, we don't just sit back, do nothing. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So that means this. We have to make some decisions, sometimes hard decisions. No, I can't do that. No, I'm not going to listen to that. No, I must do this. And so we do the sanctifying work. We, we do the discipline. And then he brings the conforming to the image of Christ. He does this great work. So Jesus says that the word of God is the only truth. Your word is truth. So our being set apart rests in the eternal work of the eternal word of God. And so therefore we are in desperate need of being kept from the world's ways. How? By being found deeply connected in the eternal truth of the Lord. So the great work of the word of God is what will bring about this great transformation that happens and takes place in our lives. And I want you to go to Romans chapter 12 just for a moment. And I want to point out something here. And then I want to illustrate something that's important for us. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So this is Paul's counsel and specific instruction in regard to how we keep ourselves from being caught up and trapped by the system of the world. 12 verse 1, Romans 12 verse 1. So he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, speaking to the family of God, by His mercies, here's how you live a life of spirit and truth. We have, look up here just for a second, I'm sorry. I have to say this. We have so simpletoned down the word worship to only be connected to what we did a while ago with music. That's an aspect of worship, but that's not the totality. I want you to know what Paul says here. This is what worship looks like. Not that we lift our hands and lift our voices. That's part of worship. But that we offer our very bodies, all of us. Not in a setting like this. Yes, in a setting like this. Not just. But every day of our lives. So again, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice laid down on the altar. What kind? Exactly what Jesus has been saying. That will be holy and acceptable to God. This is, Paul writes, your spiritual worship. That's what spiritual worship looks like. So that looks like this. In a business meeting tomorrow and your boss is a jerk, and you worship and you trust Jesus in that moment. Boss is not right to treat in that way or whatever the case may be. But we respond biblically. We lay our lives and our pride down on the altar. And in that moment we worship him. He's exalted. Because it's not about us. It's about his getting the glory. In any kind of setting, in any kind of thing, we lay our lives down. Now look at verse 2 now. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing, when the mind's connected to the truth, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. How do you know the will of God? I go back to it. We know the will of God in the Word of God. And as our mind is being renewed by testing things connected to the Word, we know the will of God and we know what is good. We know what is acceptable. And we know what is perfect. And the world is ever aiming at us to get us to fall in line with its thinking. Whether you and I realize it or not, it is the mission of the world to do that. And if all I ever do is stare at the world, be enamored with the world, listen to the world, I will conform to its ways. But if I will put my nose and my eyes and my ears, and I will put my face into the book, and if I will do that, then I will begin to conform to the image of Jesus. And so again, I say, every day the world is at work in us or the the word of God is going to be at work in us. And so we want to do this. And I, I brought this picture. You can see here, this is a, this clear plastic bowl here. And I want to kind of highlight um, the sponge. This represents our mind. The clear pa- plastic bowl here represents the entirety of, of the Word of God. All 66 books, this revelation of who He is. And the water, Jesus, the living water, they, they are the words. And this is what our life ought to be. We should immerse ourselves daily in the entirety of the scripture in the words of Jesus. Here's why that's so critical. Because out there in the world, we get squeezed. And when we are full and our minds are saturated, they are being renewed by the truth of God's word. When we are squeezed somewhere at work, what comes out? What we've been saturated with. So when this situation happens... Because our mind is full and we're squeezed, the truth comes out because there's a renewing and a conforming to the image of Jesus. This is our mind and it should be immersed in the truth of God's word so that when we are squeezed, and we will be, that what comes out is the truth of the scripture. So Jesus says, set them apart, Father. For holiness and gospel's sake, for this reason, for this purpose, and in this, in the truth, so that when they are squeezed, when they are there, they recognize and discern the lies from the truth, and they are ready to face things. And I tell you, dusty, put-away Bibles that are never opened, they lead to an undeveloped Christian life. But Bibles whose pages are marked. I've got some pages here that are brown. Because I do this. I lick my fingers. And I love to look inside people's Bibles. By the way, I look in your Bibles if I'm ever around you. Because I like to see, even though I don't underline, I like to see highlights. I like to see what people wrote. I like to see binding falling apart. I like to see torn pages. Why? Because that's a life that's what? That's immersed itself in the truth. And it's ready when the time comes. When life squeezes us. Could it be sometimes we don't handle some of the situations of our lives very well? Is because our mind is not immersed in the scripture. It's immersed in the world. And so what comes out is 
a cuss word or a fit of anger, whatever, whatever it may be, the honking of a horn. My wife told me yesterday at a stoplight, get your hand off the horn. She was right. I needed to calm. I didn't honk it. I listened to her. But listen, the only way we will be ready, go, go back to those pictures. How do you deal with, I think it was actually 110, 110 strollers. That's, that's a heartache of kids killed by bombs. How do you, how do you maintain perspective? How do, you, how do you know when the world says a woman, a man can swim in a woman's swim meet and win and it's just okay? Because that person wants to be that way and the world affirms that. How do we recognize that that's wrong? We recognize it's wrong because we know the Bible. How do we know at South, at the music festival, when Planned Parenthood has a truck to promote condoms and abortion to give out ice cream in the name of those things, how do we recognize that's false? The only way we recognize it is that we've been sanctified in the truth. And the truth is God's word. And the list can go on and on and on. So I'm just going to briefly touch on this one and then we're going to finish. Look at 18. As you sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. So what do sanctified people do? Well, they don't just hide away. It's not what they do. They invest. They initiate their lives into a broken world. Ultimately, we are not saved and set aside to do nothing. We're not left in the world. We're not just left in the world. But rather we should see this, that we are sent in the world. Now go to John 17, 14. If you're you're not there, go back to John 17. And I want to show just a couple of things here and we're going to move on to the last point. John 17, 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So listen, we are not of the world system. Why? Because we have the word of God, we have the truth of God, we have been saved by God. So we're not of the world. Now look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So we are not of the world. And notice what Jesus prays here. I don't want you to take them out. I don't want you to isolate them. Why? Because of what we read in verse 18. We are to go to the world. How does anybody know about the gospel? Because those who are not of the world but in the world are sent to the world with what? With the truth of God's word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So sanctified people are set apart to be sent to the world. I brought something this morning and I put our logo on it. Salt. This is not how we are to live our lives. It's nice, comfortable. 
are to go. We are to be poured out. We are to be people who don't stay in here. We exercise wisdom. We're not of the world. We're in the world, but we are to go to the world. And so as we live in the world, though we're not of it, we exercise wisdom, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We renew our mind. But this is not how we are to live. We are to be poured out. Salt is only good if it's what? If it just stays in here, it can stay in here for years. Salt doesn't go away. But salt is most effective what? When it's poured out and used. During the reign of Oliver Cromwell, the British government began to um, run low on silver for coins. So Cromwell sent his men to 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 the local cathedrals to see if they could find any precious metals there. So they went out, they looked, they came back and reported to Cromwell, the only silver we can find are the statues of the saints inside the cathedrals. And so Cromwell said to them, good, we'll melt down the saints and put them back into circulation. And that's what we need to be. We are not of the world, we are in the world, and we are to take the gospel to the world. We are to be in circulation. So we exercise wisdom, but Christian, listen, Christians are not to always withdraw. We initiate at times. Initiate relationship. Initiate the gospel. Here's the last thing. Verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Now, was Jesus sinless? Are we in agreement that he's sinless? So why did he need to consecrate himself what is he talking about what he's not setting himself apart because he's sinful he's setting himself apart for the great work of what the cross he came for the purpose of establishing the truth he came for the purpose of laying his life down to die so he is consecrating himself to go to the cross for what reason we closes verse 19 so that we would be sanctified in the truth Without the cross, is there sanctification in the truth? No. He does the great work of sanctification by laying down his life and opening the doorway through his flesh by bearing our sin. And in doing so, we now can be sanctified in the truth. So it's very clear that he was setting himself apart for this purpose that the Father had for him. He consecrated himself to carry through in laying his life down. And so in other words... We become sanctified in the truth because of the cross of Jesus. And so therefore, we are cross-centered people. So I'm going to close with this. There are two unique things that are really important for us to see here. What do we learn about Christ consecrating himself to the cross and to the work of the cross for our salvation? One is simply this. We have the perfect example of what it looks like to live a consecrated, set-apart life. He never sinned, never sinned. Always said what the Father wanted, always did what the Father wanted. Never one time did he give in to temptation. So therefore, he becomes the highest example of what it looks like to live consecrated to God. So what does that mean for us? It means this. We are to be experts on the life of Jesus. Experts. And let's just be honest, it's not that complicated. It's four books 
of a lot of the stories from a little bit different perspective, but many of the stories the same in four Gospels. Three of them, very similar. John, very unique and different. We ought to know everything in those four books. If he's the perfect example of what it looks like to live a life consecrated to God, we should be experts on Jesus. So we read about him. He becomes our greatest subject matter. No one ever lived a more full life than Jesus did. His life was full every day because of his intimate relationship with the Father. I remind us, even the hem of his garment exuded glory. Somebody touched it and was healed one day. We should be experts on Jesus. Secondly, not only do we have an example of what it looks like in Jesus to live a consecrated life, so therefore we ought to be experts on him. Secondly, we are made pure by the result of his consecrated life. We only have salvation and are sanctified because he consecrated his life in obedience. So as he lived fully devoted and sinless, his life made the way for every cross, Christ follower who has salvation to have entered into salvation. And holiness and obedience opens the door for deeper faith in the truth. David Livingstone, we'll close with this, was a missionary. He had a heart for Africa, deep heart for Africa. He loved to learn things. He learned languages. He learned how to be um, uh, someone who could guide ships and drive a ship and, and guide a ship and steer it. He built houses. Um, he wanted to know what it was like to live among people. He wanted to be well known for the right kind of reason in England so that he could get connected to people who could serve the work of taking the gospel to the people in Africa. And so he did everything he could do. He tried to learn as much as he could learn because he wanted to see God heal and bring about God's work in Africa. So everything he did was for the benefit of the gospel to get to Africa and to help the people and see God sanctify Africa. What he did along the way is, is he deeply loved God's word and so he read God's word and he read God's word and he prayed and he invested and he continued to learn. And he found that the more he sanctified himself by agreeing with God's word, the, the bigger in possession of truth and understanding of truth became a reality in his life. The power of David Livingstone was amazing. The purity of his life. And the more that he immersed his mind in the truth of God's word and he began to learn and he began to long for Africa, the more God laid Africa on his heart. Well, one day his servants came into his room. They knew what he was like and they found him dead on his knees leaning against his bed where he just prayed all the time. And I think about his life from time to time, that picture of wanting to live a life so consecrated to the glory of Christ and to the truth of God that we just leave this life in the manner in which is our deepest passion. Not everybody gets to do that. But we should desire that, right? 
I don't want to die in the pulpit, but I'd be okay. I get, well, I would be okay. That's the one place I would love to be preaching, and Jesus, just take me. Shock for you, but I'm with him. I'm with him. We ought to be the kind of people, again, watch, so deeply immersed that wherever we are, we're ready for now and ready for the future. Three short sentences from Jesus, powerful, powerful sentences as he prays for us. Let's pray.